I'm Kate Daniels. Dr. Diana Hendel has been a hospital CEO and author of Responsible, a Memoir. She met and collaborated with Dr. Mark Golston on a very timely book, Why Cope When You Can Heal, How Healthcare Heroes of COVID-19 Can Recover from PTSD. Let's meet Dr. Hendel to find the application in our own lives. Dr. Diana Hendel, good morning, and thank you so greatly for being with us today. Okay, it's wonderful to be with you. You are just such an important person to be speaking with us this morning uh, in the context of your life, your life's work, and the fact that you have co-authored this really critical book with Dr. Mark Golston, Why Cope When You Can Heal?, how healthcare heroes of COVID-19 can recover from PTSD. And here we are, a year into COVID. I don't know that a year ago we would have imagined it could have stretched this long. Could we have? No, I don't think we could. In fact, when we wrote the book in the spring, just as the pandemic was beginning to hit all of our consciousness, I don't think even we realized how long this would last and how deeply it would affect really virtually every American or everyone in the in the world. Yes, right, uh, globally. So I can remember a year ago thinking when work was shutting down, oh, maybe a couple of weeks, uh, this is a good pause, we need this for reflection, and then we're going to be back. But a year later, it's just incredible to think back on that. Yes, it is incredible to think about how in the moment we thought, wow, two weeks is a long time to be staying inside in our own homes, not venturing out. There was fear mixed with sort of an excitement and a bonding, if you will, um, virtually with others in the sense that we were all in it together. And I remember back thinking in the beginning that that sense of uh, we can do this for two weeks And then, of course, as it went longer and longer and there was more death and loss of uh, livelihood, it really unfolded in ways that, in retrospect, are pretty predictable, um, but certainly tragic. Because we could not have imagined in the year 2020 that something like this would occur. I think there was probably the feeling that we have a handle on how things should work and we have medicines and we research and and we can fix this quickly. But I think obviously that wasn't quite the case. It's taken a year and we're still just at this edge of all the vaccinations. Very much so. Um, When you watch and think about how it has unfolded um, in some ways, retrospectively, quite predictable uh, when the elements of a wide range of impact to uh, people, you know, some people were, of course, greatly affected uh, with they or a member of their family losing their lives. Um, Others were affected in ways where they lost their jobs and their livelihoods. Um, Others were certainly the threat of loss of life or the uncertainty. I mean, we all face the same trauma, if you will, but we all experienced it very differently. And of course, as time marched on and the uncertainty continued, um, you know, that created a fair amount of division. Um, And we see that a lot in organizations that are traumatized. And of course, in a sense, the nation as an organization 
um, it really mirrors that pattern of initially camaraderie and then over time division and polarization can set in unless we intentionally address that as a symptom of trauma um, and actively work toward uh, reducing that division. Uh, for example, we battled and we continue to battle on the false choice of whether the pandemic resulted in um, a threat to, or whether we had to choose the health of our society, the health of, of the populace, if you will, uh, versus the health of our economy. And it's really a false choice. And unfortunately, the divisions that have occurred because of that. Um, but back to the actual pandemic and the effects, certainly on the front line and healthcare workers, um, that was one of the reasons we wrote our book, because we were really quite concerned uh, at the time. We wanted history to be recorded. We wanted to record the history of the pandemic, um, again, thinking it wouldn't last as long as it did, because we were seeing what was happening to those who were serving on the front lines, particularly in healthcare. And, th- and it's so important because, of course, on the front lines, there's just... Th- that happening repeatedly. There's no being able to step back. All of us, of course, are are right in the midst of it. But somehow, if we're not a a frontline worker, I find personally, I can be kind of insulated and I can go about my daily work, but not as a healthcare worker. Uh, Anyone on the front lines where you're repeatedly having to, to face this and and not only that, because of the nature of of the uh, disease of the COVID, needing to even isolate from their own family and friends for long periods of time. So it, there, it just seems to be one strike after another. Oh, you raise such a good point. And you know, healthcare workers are amongst the strongest, emotionally toughest, the most resilient people in our society, and so. They're really, in a sense, a bellwether when we see uh, the effects of traumatic stress um, on them. Um, we have to stop and say, this is something much greater than every day. Um, they're accustomed to death and tragedy, but nothing on this scale. And very much to your point that in the early days when not much was known about the virus and there was a great amount of fear, um, they themselves were at risk. And their fam- they were worried about their families, their own families, that coming home, did that represent a risk? Might they um, transmit um, the disease to their family members? So many remained separate from their family members, and so that created a, a great amount of additional stress. But I think we think that healthcare workers see a lot of death and are accustomed to it, but nothing, like I said, on this scale. Um, and so that sense of being and watching their their patients um, not be able to be in contact with their own families. So there was a lot of despair and sense of helplessness, if you will. Um, and so that adds to the amount of traumatic stress. And then when they come home and see a world that really is at war with um, being able to accept what how we can combat the virus, um, you know, mask wearing or, you know, now the potential for vaccinations that thankfully have emerged, um, you know, a year later, um, that really adds a lot of additional stress to our healthcare workers. 
So this awareness is important for us in general. Maybe we've had a some sense of it, but it's really critical to to face it with eyes wide open so that we can have more empathy, but then consider, you know, how we're approaching this in terms of ourselves to try and remedy this situation, not just for ourselves then, but for these healthcare workers who are right there on the front lines having to deal with it on, you know, minute by minute, day after day. Yes, very much so. Um, you know, certainly, oh, we've been really pleased to see a growing awareness of what it's like for those on the front lines. Um, you know, we're talking about healthcare and the people that I work most closely with are in healthcare, but there are certainly other people who work, you know, on the front lines, and we really owe them a debt of gratitude to their service that through the particularly in the early days through the time where there was a lot of fear and uncertainty. But then even now, a year later, the the duration, um, the exhaustion that is set in for so many people who are, um, in essence, serving on that the front lines to ensure that people get access to care, that ensure that people um, have food to eat. And so it's, it's really important that we're aware that um, – even though there's a wide variety of how, a wide range rather of how the pandemic has affected people, um, it is important for us to keep that front and center, um, both for how we can be in support um, and how we can um, care for those who are on the front lines caring for us. And I find that um, in in reading through some of the materials I have uh, related to the book and to the work that you and Dr. Golston are doing, that you do a, a talk on this acronym VITAL, which I feel uh, is applicable really to all of us while it focuses on leadership and primarily in healthcare. But still, my sense is that if we were to individually use this, we could see how we could come together united in in helping each other. Very much so. So VITAL is an acronym that we created um, for uh, communication um, and for leaders in particular. But you raise a great point. It's it's for all of us. Um, And the V in VITAL stands for visible. Um, Because when we're traumatized, or we're in traumatic, stressful, traumatically stressful situations, um, often our biological response of fight or flight or freeze kicks in. And so how we might respond um, as leaders or as people can, can vary uh, greatly, but depending upon our degree of shock and awe, if you will. Um, so visible is, is a reminder that what is... A, incredibly important is that we remain visible and as leaders and that we don't avoid um, reaching out um, and connecting with people. Um, so often we wait to share information until we have all of the information. Um, and we really encourage leaders to um, communicate frequently and um, often, um, that even if they don't know, to even say the words, I don't know, but here's how I'll find out, and here's when I'll get back to you, um, is really important. So visibility is exceptionally important. Um, the second 
letter in that acronym of VITAL is I, and it stands for In It Together, um, our euphemism for unity, our euphemism for the need to um, remain bonded and connected, um, and that early camaraderie that we often experience uh, in trauma that we actively seek to remain connected. Because as I said, um, we all experience trauma in a different way, even if we're experiencing the same trauma. And so that division and polarization um, so so commonly occurs. Um, you know, it seems as though it's unique to this trauma, but in fact, as we study organizations or groups or communities that have been traumatized, we see that pattern of initial initial bonding and then often splintering. And so for organizations or communities or groups or families to be um, keenly aware of the potential for division and to actively continue to message um, or act in ways that keep us together. Um, the third letter, T, is for transparency. Um, and that would seem to be really um, easy to to uh, define. Um, we all know what transparency means. But we often go further to say transparency also is to actively look for where there may be voids um, in conversation, that making sure that we address the voids and not leave things unspoken, uh, that we look for elephants in the room, uh, what might be on people's mind, and even if they don't raise the question, that we as leaders raise it, because it's almost certainly to be out there, that silence from um, the people we work with or interact with doesn't necessarily mean agreement. Um, and so actively looking for those elephants in the room um, and very transparently addressing them. And then, then the fourth letter, um, accessibility. Um, too often in organizations or communities or groups, there are lots of barriers to connecting with the leaders, connecting with uh, people who may be in the know or have the authority to make decisions. And so the importance of remaining very acceptable, accept, accessible excuse me, um, through town halls, through uh, regular communication. Um, you know, in this world, of course, now we've learned that doing things virtually um, is really a tool that perhaps we hadn't used in our companies or businesses in the past. And um, so I think that's an additional tool that we can continue to use even when we're able to be back face-to-face. And then the very last letter uh, is really the most important, and it's L for listening. And so many times we think of communicating as talking, um, but listening is key to communicating and really listening to understand, not just listening um, and waiting to respond, but listening to fully understand another person who we may completely disagree with or we may uh, completely have a different opinion of. And so that importance of listening, becoming a cornerstone uh, of a communication practice, if you will. So all so key in terms of life at any time, in the best of times, but right now when we are in the midst of this crisis and 
And it's multiple crises. So COVID is just one thing. And I don't know if it's the thing that has just been the pressure point to cause other issues that we have had in in our lives, in our country, become uh, more evident. But when you said transparent, um, Dr. Handel, I was thinking about when you said look for the elephant in the room, and, and I've been hearing more for people who are brave enough to say the things that uh, such as the racism that they're experiencing, not just necessarily mm-hmm. as a black person, but a, mm-hmm. uh, an Asian person mm-hmm. or, or a Hispanic, yeah. how they are being targeted um, in, mm-hmm. in the midst of this. Yes, you know, you raise such a wonderful point uh, for our all of our awareness and continued conversation that I remember as a leader that when I would present information um, to a group, I would um, be so pleased with myself if, in essence, there were no questions, um, because it meant that I had said everything that was needed. And I learned that that silence um, wasn't a measure of how well I communicated, that actually creating dialogue, that um, creating space for questions, and then being brave enough to hear the questions, um, even if I didn't have the answer to them. I think we're often afraid to hear questions we don't have the answer to. Um, We're afraid of questions that create a lot of discomfort um, that cause us to pause. And I found as a leader that actually those were the moments where both being able to create those conditions and connect in a way that uh, with humility and um, with caring and empathy and compassion um, and with a commitment to work towards solving those issues. So not just listening um, empathetically, um, but also then fully understanding and working towards solving um, the issues that arose. And I think that's the state we're in, um, where if each of us can adopt that practice of certainly having our own opinions and being able to advocate for our, ourselves, but very much being willing to inquire and have curiosity about others' opinions, ideas. Um, and it, it, it creates a space of connectivity. It creates a space of healing in our society. Um, we have so much more in common. We have so much more shared um, feelings, um, ideas, thoughts that... Um, bringing us together, being able to connect in that way certainly is a step toward healing. So yes, I I feel strongly about the importance of um, communicating in that way in any circumstance, uh, whether it be within an organization, our own families, with our neighbors, um, with strangers in the store who are different from us visibly, but so much more like us. humanly. Yes. And again, if we want to find something that is good in in all of what's going on that seems bleak, it is to use that as that opportunity to practice these different elements so that we can overcome this and build to be stronger than we ever were. Mm-hmm. Um, 
You know, it's so interesting you say exactly that, that this is an opportunity. And while we never would have wanted, obviously, a, a pandemic to occur, um, there are there are opportunities for us to become stronger and actually thrive in ways we wouldn't have had we not experienced it. And part of it is because it surfaces um, perhaps things that might have been somewhat under the radar um, and pushed us to a point where they become exposed and they become um, impossible to just ignore. And at first it feels extraordinarily uncomfortable um, and, and of course, a lot of friction, but moving, processing through that, moving through that, um, the opportunity for us to be better, stronger, more aligned, um, happier as communities, um, healthier as communities um, is really there. And so it is finding those opportunities um, as well. We don't discount the things that have occurred that are upsetting or um, destructive, but um, there are so many opportunities for us to also also grow and, and become even stronger in the future. Yes. Think of it in terms of those growth opportunities rather than lingering in in the negativity, whatever form it it happens to be in a in a person's life or maybe multiple forms, but trying to re refocus that change that so that it is a better p- platform mm-hmm. right yeah it's it's um evaluating what is uh the negative circumstance or the negativity or the feelings i'm having what are they telling me um what is it that i am feeling um first that awareness um and exploring that and processing it um, as a pathway toward um, healing and recovery. And we see that and we work with our certainly our healthcare clients um, that they're living in a world where it is a both and, that they are continuing to experience traumatic stress. Um, and that is waning, but they're, but it's not gone. And in the same way, there will be tragedies that occur in our lives, but how is it that we both um, address them and process them and face them without repressing or without suppressing, um, without denying them, but very much a both and of processing um, the tragedies that occur and in a way that allow us to uh, grow and thrive um, in our lives. And certainly because of the trauma, and particularly with COVID, but the other things that may be connected with it, and healthcare workers evidently have had some stigma around seeking mental health care. Is that really true? Well, I think the stigma is um, rooted in a sense of um, strength and um, we can just, we can get over it. Um, you know, as I'd mentioned earlier, healthcare workers are extraordinarily strong and emotionally tough. Um, it, it just, I don't know if it's the nature or it's that that's the kind of personality that is drawn to healthcare. I mean, there is just an incredible, both esprit de corps, but also a, we can do it. Um, we can overcome anything. Um, and in fact, they often do. There's, there's 
so much experience with adversity and hardship and tragedy, um, you know, in healthcare environments, um, very much in alignment with also great stories of recovery and saving lives and uh, new babies being born. Um, so this dichotomy of, of life and death very much exists. And so it creates the strength. Um, in healthcare environments, there's often this um, stiff upper lip kind of culture um, that we just carry on. And that's an important strength that for healthcare workers to be able to, in the moment, compartmentalize or to put aside a feeling and being able to continue to address uh, a circumstance in their environment, of course, is really important and it's a phenomenal strength. But it can also mean that sometimes feelings are repressed or suppressed for a long period of time and don't get processed. Um, and in that culture of strength, um, you know, we just keep moving on, just um, keep going. That has created um, the stigma of um, that seeking help can be akin to weakness. Um, no one explicitly says that, and no one believes that, of course. It's more rooted in the idea of how strong they are. And it's a strength that in some ways gets overplayed in extreme circumstances, uh, that the very thing that makes us strong when it is taken to the extreme can have some downsides. Um, and in this case, when feelings aren't processed, when those um, uh, impacts on our mental well-being aren't addressed, of course, that can result in, in symptoms and and um, issues that arise. So it's um, less that there's stigma against getting help for mental health will, uh, and wellness as much as there's a belief in how strong we are as healthcare workers. Um, and I think that gets played out more, more readily. And of course, that's so admirable, but also to realize that each of us is is a human being, and we have our our um, well, what weaknesses, which is mm -hmm. not to sound negative, but there are places where we just need to have someone to to help buoy us up somewhat. As we all do, we all um, we all need each other. Um, mm -hmm. There's no doubt about that. In fact. One of the hallmark symptoms of uh, PTSD is that sense of isolation um, and that sense that for many are isolated in plain sight and people who we might never even think are isolated or are suffering from traumatic stress um, because they're able to um, completely function in ways that none of us would ever expect. Um, so it's really important that we both inquire with um, our loved ones about how they're feeling. Um, in fact, Dr. Golston uh, often says that if someone responds with to the question of uh, how are you feeling or how are you doing, and the response is a, a quick, I'm fine, that is often um, a signal to ask more. Um, when we say sort of flippantly, I'm fine, that often is a signal to inquire further, um, ask more questions about how a person's feeling, um, and bear witness to those feelings. Um, I know for me, when someone is suffering or 
um, is feeling poorly, um, particularly emotionally, I have this um, urge to fix it for them. I have this urge to give them a pep talk and tell them they'll, it'll all be fine. Um, and while pep talks and helping to find solutions can be an important part of an exchange or conversation, um, I've practiced leading instead with listening more deeply, um, being able to uh, bear witness to their feelings before just trying to rush in and try to fix or to talk them out of their feelings. Um, sometimes they just need to express those feelings um, and they don't need to be fixed. Sometimes the expression is the beginning of that process and processing and healing. Well, I feel that uh, the two of you together, you, Dr. Handel, and with Dr. Golston, having written this book, Why Cope When You Can Heal, How Healthcare Heroes of COVID-19 Can Recover from PTSD, is just such an incredibly important book to raise awareness Find some course of action. Uh, perhaps it might even be the element of healing that a person is needing or at least make them more open to seeking further help. Right. Yeah, it's interesting that we had written it, particularly for healthcare workers, because we were thinking that that was the segment of the population that would be most affected with traumatic stress. But, of course, now a year later, the application of our work and the book really transcends and is uh, likely to be helpful for everyone. So thank you for the opportunity to talk with you about it. Uh, it's really an important topic. Oh, extremely important. And I'm just so grateful again that the two of you collaborated. It is highly important, so readable, and I'm just grateful we've had an opportunity to discuss some of it this morning. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, thank you.